Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of On The Bench, episode 13 now of season 3. And uh, my name is Joseph Esposito and I will be your host for tonight's show, or tonight, today, or whenever you're listening. And I'm joined here, as always, by the man himself, Mr. Oliver Lamont. How are you? Espo, good mate. How are you? Hello, oh, mate. You good to be here, back yeah, in the hot seat once know, again. Mate. You, you, a while. you like these, you love having, you know, week on, week off. Uh, yeah, it's a, it's a sabbatical here and there. Sabbatical here and sabbatical for the last bloody three quarters of the year, mate. Oh, well, I've got uh, <laughs> things to attend to, but I'll, uh, I'm available when I am. Yeah, no, oh, that's, oh, okay, you're a sought-after man these days, you didn't realise. But, uh, that's right. Well, look, mate, we have, uh, we have, we've got some uh, some good topics to cover tonight. We've got three main ones here, and I believe you have a, uh, a fan question at the end that's come in. That's uh, true. So, well, mate, without further ado, to kick off tonight... Uh, we want to chat, well, I want to chat about, get your thoughts, and uh, talk about this, you know, looking back now on the uh, UEFA Nations League. Yep. So, all the group games have been played now, and we saw some cracking games uh, towards the back end. Obviously, the, uh, the Dutch doing it extremely late, uh, just the other day against Germany. We've seen England, you know, again, late as well uh, to qualify through. We saw Switzerland come from... 2-0 down at home to Belgium to ended up, you know, walloping them 5-2. And, of course, Portugal qualifying through as well. So the final four, you know, it's not a final four that we expected, uh, you know, at the beginning of all this. And, you know, people's, you know, it's starting to turn heads, this competition. You know, it's it's not just, you know, like a, that's probably like my first question for, you know, it was kind of seems like a bit of a glorified uh, international break but now you know do you really think that anymore you know this this whole idea that it being like you know a tin pot league you know farmers league in a way uh do you think that's changed you know now that we've seen four teams that are in the finals the you know the two semi-finals that we didn't expect at the get-go yeah for sure no i i get what people are saying that it's a tin pot league and that you know it's just a way to generate a bit more interest around a, a glorified friendly but it's become a lot more than that obviously you know the integration of the um, the the qualifiers into the competition encourages teams to really put their foot down on the competition and, and make a mark. So you're we're seeing teams come together, playing new systems with players competing for their spot, and and there's really something to play for here within this competition. Teams going head to head at it and, and it really makes for some, you know, and we've seen the results out of it, some really exciting clutching games and and I think that it's it's really done Yeah, you know, there, there there was a real need to create a bit more interest around these these friendlies and I think um creating a competition around this has really done done a lot for this this nation's leagues and, you know, it's Moving forward, I think um, I think we're going to see a lot more, you know, the, and and the way that the finals shaped out. Teams that you you probably you know, especially Switzerland, we we weren't expecting them to to be up there, but they've been able to bring something to the competition and and catch the eyes of of everyone else. So everyone's sort of captivated by this competition now mm. because of of the quality of football that it's brought. Yeah, for sure. Well, that's what uh, that's what I think. One of the one of the big positive things, I guess, is something you know we talked about. We've talked about it before, uh, you know, when we tried to get you know get an understanding about it all. But now, I guess something that we didn't really talk about is just how much pressure you know it's so worth now. And yes, you know, there has been complaints about you know the the stress and you know 
what they're asking of players, you know, playing in, in Europe and around the world to then turn up into the uh, international camps and to go, you know, right into it and play these, you know, pretty well now very competitive games. But, you know, looking at it now, it's so worth, you know, giving your time to and putting your best team out there because once these teams qualify through, that's it. They're qualified through to Euros and it, and it's just... And Euros aren't until, you know, 2020, the middle of 2020. Uh, that is the year 2020. And, you know, we're, some teams could be through and they're going to have a year and a bit before the competition starts, whereas there'll be other teams now, you know, big, you know, top nations within Europe that'll have to go through the whole qualifying process. Uh, and... You know, it just it just makes a lot of it makes a lot of sense. Like you know, to to think that Netherlands, for example, you know, I'm I've said off here, I'm so about the Dutch at the moment, but uh, you know, because they haven't they haven't made the last World Cup or European Championships, uh, to now be only you know what two games away from qualifying through to uh, Euro 2020, it's it's awesome. And now and now they'll have so much time. And now when they have their next international breaks post uh, the Nations League they'll be able to, you know, rest their big players and just have them in the camps and, you know, blood in their youth. It makes it just makes so much more sense. So, um, you know, we'll look moving on from that, you know, moving sorry, with that, my apologies. Uh, I want to ask you, do you think do you feel that all that with these four teams, you know, maybe England had a case uh, to be in the last four, potentially Portugal. I mean Switzerland and Netherlands at the beginning. No one would think they'd be in the last four. Do you think at all that the you know the landscape is kind of changing, like you know a bit of a change of guard at all in terms of you know there's there's a lot a lot of competitive team a lot more competitive teams within Europe now when and uh, you know we've seen it through Switzerland and Netherlands uh, getting through. Yeah, I get what you're saying. I think it's probably a little bit too early to get overexcited about these teams. I think come to, come the stages of where teams are, are getting through to the. To the Euros, you're going to see your top contenders up there. Obviously, Germany still have a lot of work to do to get back to to where they are, but they're essentially they're a, a sleeping giant that are, are are really underperforming at the moment. Where Belgium's come and how far they went in the World Cup, you'd expect them to rectify what they've done in in this competition. You know, your your, your Frances and and your Croatias, even though they've they've sort of let this competition slip. You know, you fully expect them to be to be up there, and it, yeah, I guess it is. But you know what, this competition, the Nations League specifically, has created is it's just other avenues and, and pathways for these teams to. You know, they only need a, a handful of of good games together, and and bang, they've put themselves in a really comfortable you know pole position to to get into the, um, the to the Euros there, and it makes the it makes for the other teams. You know, work harder for for what they think that they deserve. So, you know, I think when you're looking at that, especially the England squad, what Gareth Southgate's been able to to bring to that team, a whole lot of unity. They're not essentially the best flock of English players that we've ever seen, but in terms of operating as a unit and a team, yeah, it's really something to get excited about. The development of this Switzerland team, Jordan Shakiri's in the you know probably one of the best forms of his of his career you've mm. also got granite Xhaka who seems to thrive in that swiss formation and and system there so that but in saying that there yeah, there is there is a lot to get excited about this new you know crop of of players and and teams and systems being played that that are coming through this nations league yeah well i mean you know just just you know touching on england you know you say it's not their best crop of players but the amount of players in the squad that under the age of 25, there was a list I saw the other day, and it would have been 
of the of the squad that was picked, more than 80 percent of the squad were under the age of twenty five. And to think that Harry mm. Kane is still under the age of twenty five is, you know, yeah, unreal. For, for English fans, it's, yeah, it's, it's something really to get excited about, and not just not just the age, just the 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 depth that they have at their disposal there that Gareth Southgate has. You've got players like well. Joe Gomez at the back. You've got John Stones. You've got versatile players like uh, Kyle Walker who can play on the right or even play as like a third centre-back when mm. needed. Harry so, Maguire you know, even as well. Like... Harry, yep, Harry Maguire. There's, there's so many players there. Even like his best midfield, you know, he's got at his disposal. Dyer, Henderson, you know... Um, Deli Alley, there's there's just so many. Even Fabian Delph has made a, a strong case for himself in that midfield. Jaden Sancho, so there's, there's, yeah, it just goes really on and on, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, that's right. So, and it's it's all become you know this this competition has given has given life to these teams and and for them to develop a system and rather than just you know coming into a friendly games where these younger England players or or players on the not quite solidified in the starting eleven. You know, this is a chance for a, a team to really put together a system that they can work week in, week out at, and 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 strive for something mm. rather than just you know, oh, it's a it's an international break. Let's all just you know put our feet up. Yeah, no, for sure, for sure. No, it's a uh, a good talking point, and uh, I know, well, I know me for one, you know, I for one, sorry, uh, I'm very much looking forward uh, to the final four of uh, Group A. So, uh, also it's as well... James... It's just a shame that it's about nine nine months away or so. Yeah, exactly, exactly. But, uh, you know, what can you do? But, no, it is, it, it, it's uh, it's definitely been entertaining thus far. So, I'm sure it's only going to grow in stature as the years go on. So, uh, especially when it moves into uh, Nations League. I wonder if they're going to move into, like, World Cup qualifying as well. Uh, you know, just kind of branded under the same... Uh, under the same name but uh, anyway mate moving on and uh, we will centre our focus now to the Premier League now we've had our international obviously, finally we're back exactly we can we've talk had about a, it we've had our international break so and we have already chatted uh, about the Champions League in our previous show so there isn't we won't really need to touch on that too much tonight uh, but mate just, just just to get the ball rolling so we're heading back in now Uh to the Premier League and I want to quickly chat about City and I want to get your thoughts. Now, mm-hmm. we've seen over the years, you know, so many teams that Christmas, this Christmas period can make or break a team season, whether that be surviving relegation, pushing for a top four spot or a European spot for that matter. And of course, winning the league. Now, looking at um, City, Again, they've lost De Bruyne to a knee and Mendy to knee injuries. Will these long-term injuries for pretty important players, when you think about, obviously, De Bruyne in the midfield and Mendy's ability down the wing, you know, chalking up assist after assist, mm-hmm. Do you, can you see these... Well, well, question is, will these long-term injuries uh, derail City's Christmas period? Look, I think... Obviously, any team would rather be playing with De Bruyne than without. Mm. In terms of what City have at their disposal, I don't think it will hinder too much on their challenges. I mean, when you look at City, this is what they've invested for to to cater for injuries and and mishaps that happen within their squad. Because obviously, believe it or not, everyone in that team is a human, even though they play like like robots. They they're exceptional, incredible team. Mm. 
but you've seen it's it's more it's a it's a big combination of technically gifted players as well as the the play the ball pass the ball system that Pep has implemented into that whole squad rather than just a specific set of eleven. So I think yes, obviously they will they will miss De Bruyne, but in terms of what you know the likes of Bernardo Silva in midfield with David Silva, they still have that incredible quality to keep up that style of play and demand that that Pep wants. I mean, they've pretty much been without uh, De Bruyne all season, and they've already gone on and just you know added on top of to what they achieved last season, and, and are probably on track to go go ahead and do it again. The only the only question mark around that is is it fully sustainable throughout this whole yeah Christmas period when they're going to need to be able to rotate, especially when yeah. the likes yeah. of of Liverpool and and Chelsea are sort of nipping at their heels. So the Christmas period specifically will be interesting, but I think in the long term of it, I think Man City will will be okay and they'll probably just go on and 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 do as Man City do. Okay. But when you look at it before you yeah, but I mean Mendy, I mean. He's great at going forward, and he gives he gives City another out ball. But you know, goal scoring is not not their issue. They they've been doing it fine, especially Fabian Delph. I mentioned before, he's quite versatile. He can play well, that's what I great on that left, but but he can be also be quite defensively. So if they, you know, if they want to have a more defensive approach, he's a he's more than an adequate replacement for for Mendy. Not just for one game, but for you know, five or five or ten. Yeah, okay. They need him. Well, that's what I was, that, that was what I was talking about. You know, not just in the like the Premier League. Uh, well, talking about obviously talking about the Premier League, but when you add in the Champions League as well and cup games, that's what I was. That's what I wanted to add in as well. You know, in terms of the question, so you don't you don't feel that it'll be too much of a major issue, even when you add in you know European fixtures and cup fixtures. Probably, probably not. I mean, I'd love to see it happen and. I'm I'm more than happy to be proved wrong, but they've spent you know even their back three replacements. So they're starting they're starting front threes Sterling, Aguero, and and Sane. Say their back three their replacement three of Bernardo Silva, Jesus, and Mares are worth 150 plus. So this is this is what I'm saying that this is what City have have invested in, and I think they they may put uh, more of a focus on the Champions League this season because. That's what they're focusing on, and and what they probably are missing in terms of being that ultimate super club. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you, but all those other players are more than capable of keeping up this consistent performance that they're putting in in the Premier League each week. Okay, interesting, interesting. What are your thoughts on it? Good I mean, do you, do you see this Christmas period being too too heavy for them to to handle? Oh well, I guess you know it is. Uh, uh, you know, where it is a question of how they are going during, you know, that, that Christmas period. Because, you know, if they get on, if, like for any team, really, I mean, the Christmas period is crucial for every team in the Premier League. Uh, but, you know, if, you know, City, who this year, I think, I feel that uh, regardless of if they win it or not, they'll be pushed all the way by either a Liverpool or a Chelsea. Um, so if they can get, you know, if they do lose a, a game or two and, you know, they go on a bit of a, a, a you know, run out of form, uh, so to speak, you know, and they start to pan- almost panic a bit. You, you'd think that Pep would, you know, be able to handle it. But, uh, yeah, maybe, you know, it would it would obviously be frustrating him heavily that De Bruyne's gone again and Mendy, uh, both 
to knee injuries again. Um, but I guess it, it just all depends on how they're going during that period uh, So and how that weighs in on the team. And as well, you know, it is, you know, it's, uh, you know, you look at it the other way, injuries can be fantastic for other players because they finally get a chance to, you know, to, to step up and, and prove themselves. And right now, the City players that have come in are, are proving that because <laughs> they're on top of the table for for, for one reason only, and uh, that is because right now they are the best team in the league. So, uh, yeah, like I said, it all does depend really on that period and how they're going in it. Um, but anyway, mate, uh, moving on. Fulham, bottom of the league. Ah, Fulham. I don't think... Oh, well, I know I, I for one didn't expect this. Uh, it is... It has been, although I will say it has been entertaining watching Fulham games with uh, with Matt. Uh, who well and truly wears his team on his sleeve. Uh, but we have seen... It all it came out of nowhere. Uh, you know, the appointment of Claudio Ranieri, the return of Mr. Dilly Ding Dilly Dong himself. Dilly Ding Dilly Dong. And, you know, we'd, I've, I've read since that, you know, Arsene Wenger turned Fulham down. I mean, I don't think Arsene was ever going to manage them. Uh, even so They even went after uh, Andre... Uh, AVB, sorry. Uh, Andres Villas oh, yeah. Boas, sorry, uh, over he's he's in uh, Guangzhou Evergrande uh, since he since he left Tottenham, um, but we have seen Claudio come out of nowhere and it was so random their appointment there was no word about Ranieri and now he's here and I think you know one big you know positive for Ranieri is that he's come in at the beginning of an international break. So he's had a little, not not a whole lot of time, obviously, but not like a pre-season or anything, but he's had a little bit of time to work on a few things. And uh, what can what can you expect, or what, what should we expect from uh, from Fulham's first game under Ranieri? Yeah, obviously they're going to go through a, a major adjustment period with, with Claudio Ranieri at the helm. Mm. Um, but I think I think it's got to be first things first at Fulham. You know, they've, they've shipped... A lot of goals and 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 really haven't been able to score at the other end either. So it's just been, you know, their <clears throat> their campaign in the Premier League has just been has been a bit of a perfect storm for them. And, and unfortunately, yeah. they had yeah. So it, it's just it hasn't been a really healthy start. So I think Ranieri, what he will bring is try and bring that you know Italian defensive setup because you know that that seems to be the priority. So mm. probably focus on a bit more stability first. Get, a, get an understanding of their system that they can implement throughout the back and then play from there. You know, I, I don't think um, Djokanovic had, had fielded the same back four consecutively in, in a game. So that just shows how much tinkering was was going uh, was going on there. So I think Ranieri will look to to fix that up put in the system that he wants and then and then move forward from there. They obviously have, you know, in terms of scoring goals when you're looking at their squad on paper, there's there's some serious talent there. So I think if Ranieri, as he's been able to do, is you know bring together a a a, a group of people, you know players and and have them strive towards you know a system that that he believes in. So it'll take some time, but but I definitely think he's yeah, he will be able to achieve it and and get them out of the slug there that mm. the that a relegation battle is. And then once they're out of that, you know the pressure is released and they can really start to play the football that that he wants. But first things first is is fix up the back. Yeah, for sure. Well, that's what I mean. When 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 they made uh, the appointment of Ranieri, I said and I and I hope. I'll stand by it. I, I said that they they just that they survived relegation there and then. 
they had to make you know um, you know that Slav had been a, a, a fantastic coach I mean you know had finally got them back uh, to the Premier League and but you know unfortunately Fulham don't have the time and can't afford to you know be resting on their laurels and you know allow themselves to fall any further away you know right now they 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 have to stay in touch you know with outside the relegation zone and right now they're a game or two behind I believe uh, I will check the table now but um you know it's like like you said first things first they have to they have to tie up the back so uh, it's that is by far the most important thing for them at the moment. So I'm just checking now. And yeah, so they're a win out. Okay, so they're, they're three points outside of the uh, of the relegation zone, which is a huge positive for them, uh, seeing that mm-hmm. they're coming with a new manager. So they're just outside. But yeah, you know, I've watched Fulham play a few times this year and they just seemed, uh, they, just, they just seemed so disjointed and... You know they have the like like you said on on paper they have a fantastic team and I thought they they had one of the transfer windows of any team in the Premier League uh, and it's that's why it's been almost a bit of a shock in a way that they are where they are but yeah when you watch them play uh, they they seem so yeah like just disjointed you know eleven individuals not one team I know that's a bit cliche but it is true uh, when you mm-hmm. watch them play and uh, it didn't really look like they were playing to any sort of system it was just eleven players out there on the field. And so yeah, I guess the first things first is like you said they have to they have to shore up the back and uh, just just get that togetherness and that's why I think that's where I think Ranieri will be so so good. I mean, you know, look no further than what he did at Leicester, uh, but I think you know not that Leicester played incredible football, but they were just such a great team and they played so well together. And I think that you know you could you could more than argue that uh, that Fulham have better players, you know, equal players, if not better than some of the players that Leicester had uh, during Ranieri's uh, period there. So, you know, and, and this weekend at home, first game under him at home as well uh, against Southampton, uh, which is a very winnable game. So Southampton who struggle for goals as well. So if they can show up the back, then, you know, if they can play like, I don't you know, it was, it was uh, the final game before the, the, uh, the manager was uh, sacked. But, when they played, when they played us, you know Liverpool, you know they did lose two 0 Mitrovic, I think, was offside. But regardless, if if Fulham can play like that, they looked like that was the first time I've watched them play this year and thought, yeah, they look like a team. They're playing towards some sort of system, and they mm. gave us, they gave us one of the biggest goings that we've had this year, one of the toughest times that we've had this year. So, if they can play a bit more like that, more so under Ranieri, then there's no reason why they can't, why they can't, you know, beat teams and beat teams well. So, I think that our uh, Fulham fans should. Should be really excited about this appointment. You know, it is kind of bittersweet in a way, uh, losing a manager that brought you back you know, to a league that you'd been a part of for so long. But like I said, they don't have time to rest on their laurels and they should be excited because I think that uh, Ranieri will do a fantastic job. And come the transfer window, uh, I think we could see some more positive signs because, you know, he has a lot of he has a lot of pull. He has a reputation. And, uh, you know, I think that they may have to... They may have to look to get a few players in from around the league and or, uh, you know, leagues nearby uh, on loan. Uh, maybe one or two players, and we could see him do that. Maybe bring in, you know, another central defender uh, and, you know, go from there. So it's, 
exciting times for Fulham. So was there anything else you want to touch on there, mate, about Fulham? No, mate, I think you I think you summed it up beautifully there. Um but yeah, whether I mean it'd be quite interesting come January whether they whether they dip into the market. I'm I'm sure mm. there's a few on Ranieri's shopping list there. Um but whether you know they they'd already exhausted the uh the budget there. I'm I'm not too sure because they did spend over a hundred million, let's not forget. Yeah, exactly. That's what I mean. So uh well look mate, moving on. Uh I want to quickly touch on our match of the round in the Premier League. And mm-hmm. I think we can look no further than Spurs versus Chelsea, a London derby. Uh, Spurs hoping one Yum. of the last London derbies they have to play at Wembley uh, before they move into their, their new White Hart Lane. Uh, mate, Is how- that what it's officially called? No, sorry. It's called uh, Tottenham Stadium, isn't it's it? It's just called... It's um. Tottenham did they, Sta- they didn't just call it Tottenham Stadium, did No, they? I'm pretty sure they called it Tottenham Stadium. Um, yeah, okay. Or North London Stadium, but that's inventive. Uh, it's I, I know it's 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 a shocker, uh, but uh, mate, how do you say this one playing it? Oh, me personally, just quickly, I think Chelsea will have way too much, and I still think that. Oh, actually, I don't mm. know. This could be a draw. And yeah, I'm just I going off. I'm just going off how Tottenham players have performed uh, <clears> for England as of late. Yeah, I think. Um, yeah, I think. I think, in terms of what they brought. Overall, this season, I think Chelsea's style of play is, is much more attractive. Even though Tottenham have got off to the best start in the Premier League ever, I, yeah, I, we've t- mentioned it before. There still seems to be a little bit of a, a disjoint between the squad there. Uh, but it's not to say that they have been grinding out some good results. And and don't get me wrong, I think Chelsea will come up against a, a really tough opposition and and someone that might might just upset them. I mean, as as good as as Chelsea's play has been at sometimes, uh, like Tottenham, there is still a lot of work to that Surrey ball style of play that that Maurizio needs to bring to Chelsea. Um, yeah, I think uh, I think it just will be determined because both teams, you know, are showing f- those small frailties. I think it's just going to be whoever whoever starts the game on the front foot first and and can really upset that other team from those disjoints that we've mentioned before. I think being at home, it might swing Tottenham's way, and we might see. I mean, I mean Chelsea are probably favourites. I, I could see Tottenham coming together, especially coming off the you know a lot of their players playing in that England squad, coming off you know some some high you know high games there, and you know winning mentality. Um, you know Harry Kane. He's he's missed the mark slightly this season, but it's not to take away from the six six or so Premier League goals I think he's already mm. got. So they they, I I don't think Chelsea will just brush them to the side, which makes it for such a, a perfectly balanced game, as as well as touching on you know where they're all sitting in the league. I think at this point last year City had well and truly convinced everyone that they were winning the league. This year not so much, just because of the quality that the Premier League has brought. You know all. Spurs, Chelsea, Liverpool, even Arsenal are, are all right on City's heels. So that makes it for a much more perfectly balanced game with with so much to play for. So yeah, I mean, I'm really looking forward to to it. In terms of who's going to win, I think it will probably be a draw for me. Um, either one all or, or I'd I'd love a two all. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I I just think it it's too perfectly balanced for for either team to to trump the other. Okay, nice mate, nice. No, well you. You've, you've, you've touched on that well you've touched on that very well there so uh, I just want to get your thoughts quickly because we do need to move on to our third topic and this is our probably our biggest discussion almost I guess interesting discussion point of the night uh, and that is based around 
I guess we could say the once revered AS Monaco. And now we have seen the currently sitting in 19th position. Uh, Jardin was obviously sacked and we saw, you know, one of their one of their most famous son Terry Henry come and take over their home. The home that the helm, my apologies, got my words tied up there. And <laughs> he hasn't had the best of starts, that's for sure. They're still sitting in 19th and they were spanked, you know, prior to the international break by PSG. Now, there's a question that I had for you, that, which I know I know that I've, I've given you today to, to prep for. And I've said, you know, how far have they fallen? Now, I guess how I want to reword that in a way is well, how far have they fallen in terms of, I mean, we've seen them... You know, they, they did spend two seasons in the second division uh, from 2011 to 2013 and have been in the top division ever since. They were champions, of course, in 17-18 uh, where they went on that run. Uh, and, uh, sorry, 16-17 is when they went on their Champions League run, but 17-18 when they won the league itself. Yeah. Now, um, what do I, no, my apologies, I've got that wrong. 16-17 is when they won the league. Now, since then, uh, they finished second. They finished second last season, but were a very, but there was a very, very healthy gap in between themselves and PSG. Now, my first question, mate, how far have they fallen in terms of not only being 19th, but just how far they've fallen off the top in terms of chasing teams like your PSG? Yeah, I mean, it doesn't really make sense for the... I mean, you look at the the system and model that is AS Monaco. It's it's produced so many quality players over the years, and then even in the latter years, obviously taking out that title and then that incredible Champions League run that they went on, for them to then fall down to 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 where they are to sack sack the manager that brought them so much success, and then I guess it was sort of written in the stars that you know they're their boyhood hero would come in and, and take over the club and it, it just has been has been anything but so <laughs> diabolical yeah i mean but i mean it's but you know that looking at as much that producing the players that they do and then on selling them has been quite a successful model would you like a list but, yeah give it to me i, I mean i could probably name is. a few off the head but you know i think if you read them out um most people well, would be shocked i went through because there's been a, there's been a, a large number that have come and gone but this is just since 14-15, okay? So this is who they've brought in and lost. Uh, now, I do mention, obviously, Radamel Falcao twice because he went away on loan to United and to Chelsea. But mm-hmm. since 2014, now, this is scary. I didn't realise almost. You forget some of the players that they've they've sold on since... Uh, sorry, since 2014-15. So we'll start from the beginning. We have James Rodriguez, Falcao to United... Dimitar Berbatov, Falcao again on loan to Chelsea. Yannick Carrasco, uh, Lavin Kazawa to PSG. Jeffrey Kondogbia to Inter Milan. Anthony Martial, of course, to Manchester United. Kylian Mbappe, Bernardo Silva, Benjamin Mendy, Jean Moutinho, Fabinho, and Thomas Lemire. Yeah, it's quite it's quite a list, and and you know that was over a, a 14, 15 period, and and they did quite well to to adequately replace and and progress forward from there. But it seems that I think over the last you know twelve months or so, they've they've sort of the balance hasn't quite been there. They've they've offloaded more than they could bring in in terms mm. of of numbers and quality, and it's it seemed to really derail them a, a lot more than what they thought. Obviously, getting rid of Jardim and, and bringing in Henri, I think that they thought there was enough quality there in the squad to be able to to compensate for those losses. 
but in terms of I think I think Henri I looked into it a bit and and you know it seemed to that Henri had really picked up a, a bit of a sinking ship you know the, mm, obviously oh, the 18th when he when he took over but there was a lot there's a lot of injuries to those key players there especially Yuri Talimans and I think um, Golovin was brought mm-hmm. in and he's he's sustained an injury as well which is you know, it's really hard for them to develop a system. Uh, Jardim was was tinkering and, and moving the systems around, which is much what Henri's done as well. So I, I think, <clears throat> as well as you know the off-field things, I'm not sure if you're aware that their president is is in uh, a bit of hot water. Mm-hmm. Um, he's he's been in breach of the financial fair play, and he took some personal profits from that. So he's mm-hmm. in he's in a lot of hot water there. So yeah, and as well as yeah, obviously you mentioned all those players that they lost, players that were you know integral to their system. So Fabinho and and Bakayoko, you know they they were two strong hot. Yeah, that, I mean, both of them in their run for the Champions League were two strong defensive midfielders who just bullied anyone who got close to them and. Mm. It's a, it's a system, that, you know, how like, Moutinho was there for a fair few seasons and, you know, a, but, a, a but really another, well... But another Bulldog midfielder. Exactly. So there was a there was a real style of play to that to that Monaco team and it's all just been, you know, flipped right on its door. head all, all too quickly for the players, for the ball, like for everyone involved at Monaco to be able to adjust and, and, and you know, you're, you're seeing the, the fruits of it all there, I guess. Yeah, well, I guess, look, my, you know, it's the reason why I wanted to talk about this topic, you know, more so we discussed it off, you know, off air, uh, you know, the four of us as a group uh, briefly. But, you know, my, my, my big discussion question uh, from tonight and for this topic itself, and I'm going to put it out uh, tomorrow online and see if we can, you know, get a few, uh, get some feedback and thoughts on it. Now, we've only just heard that the news has only come out in the last 24 hours regarding Liverpool, okay? And obviously, the signing when uh, they, when sorry, Barcelona came by again and picked up uh, Philippe Coutinho and paid a healthy amount of money uh, for his services. And we've only just found out now mm-hmm. that part of the contract agreement was that from, from, uh, from, from the signing of Coutinho through to 2021... Sorry, through to 2020, uh, to the end of the 2020 season. If Barcelona wish to sign any player from Liverpool, and we have heard inkling rumours around Roberto Firmino, which would absolutely break my heart. Uh, <laughs> but now in the contract agreement is that if Barcelona wished to sign any Liverpool player in this time period, they will have to fork up on top of the transfer fee an extra $100 million, okay, to the club. Okay? Now... We we understand and you know we understand this model, uh, this model that Monaco have you know bringing in and letting go and it just seems to be what they do, but they're now sitting in nineteenth position, they're in financial hot water as you've just said, should a notion like this be used should sorry, should Monaco take on this notion and implement it themselves and not just Monaco but other clubs as well to save themselves from a downfall that we're currently seeing in Monaco. Mm, I don't know. It, every club's different. Every every model is different. Every financial situation is different. The every um, what do you call it? The development youth systems are different. I think it would go against what Monaco what has brought Monaco so much success in the years. You know, on selling their players and and recovering off like the development isn't a problem. On selling the players isn't a 
problem. It was more probably the amount of outgoings over a certain time period that has caused the problem. And in terms of looking at the recruitment, so they might be a little bit too focused on on development and then on sell, and the gap might be, you know, more more in the recruitment or or the rate of of selling these players. Obviously, being where they are now, they need to you know, reassess and, and come up with something new for them to get back to where they are because the last thing that they probably want now is is to go back down to, to League Two. So it I mean in terms <clears throat> looking at it on a on a broader scale, it yeah, every every club's situation is different and whether that, you know, putting in that notion would be successful for one club to to the other, I'm I'm not too sure. And and in terms of how they're agreed and yeah, I'm I'm not I'm not sure if it would be a vital viable solution um, and hence why Liverpool have only put it in for you know until 2020 or so yeah no it was just just you know interesting you know we might see you know now that it's kind of come to the forefront and you know been brought to the media's attention you know we may see clubs like this uh, clubs try to you know implement something similar uh, in the future because I mean you know right now you know off, off the top of my head you know I think we're you know we, we don't have a Galactico side you know, in the form of Real Madrid at the moment. And, you know, we could see them, you know, go through the market like they've done so many times in the past and just pick off the best players from other clubs. And, uh, you know, as for, for fans' sake as well, you know, it's you know it's been hard enough for, you know, for us watching, you know, Coutinho go and Suarez go uh, in recent years, you know, obviously Torres as well. But, you know, there's so many clubs that, that develop these players and just watch them go uh, to the bigger clubs when, you know, if they'd hung... Like, you know... It, you know, when if they'd hung around, their, their club could be, you know, so much, you know, further progressed. You know, like you look at this Monaco team, if they'd kept some of those players, they'd be, if they kept those players, they'd be, they, that's a team that could win, easily win a Champions League. It will, you know, not easily, but easily compete right up there for a Champions League. Easily compete with a PSG for the league. You know what I mean? So as a, as a Monaco fan, in a way, you'd just be like, you'd just be so over it. And I guess you can tell in their, you know, in their attendance rates, you know, they're, Unless it's a really big game, like a big team's in town, no one's there to watch them play. So, you know, it seems that almost everyone around the club is just starting to get sick of it in a way. So, uh, mm, that's right. Yeah, I mean the the notion that Liverpool implemented, I think it's I think it's more of a stance to show what they're striving towards, and that the players that they have recruited in are. You know they're they're in the owners' plans for the long term and to increase the value of the club mm. should they decide to sell on. So I think they've got a certain time period as to what the owners want to achieve there, and and putting in this notion protects that protects that mission essentially because obviously you know, but it doesn't rule it out because obviously you know the financials that that come through of selling a player you know like Coutinho maybe that investment is. Is is too big an option to turn turn over, but obviously you don't want your best players going out the door left, right, and center. For sure, for sure. But anyway, mate, I'm sure we'll uh, we'll see if if uh, Thierry himself can can turn this uh, sinking ship around. I don't know if he can, mm-hmm. but uh, mate, I will now leave it into your hands. I believe we did have a fan question to wrap up our show tonight. Yeah, we did. We we did have a fan question sent in. I was it's from a good mate of mine, um, Andrew Kane. So we had a, a brief chat today, and he sent me a stat. So we had a look in, and Barcelona and both Barcelona and Arsenal, uh, they're both on seven wins, three draws, and two losses each, equaling a total of twenty four points. So Barca are first in the league, and Arsenal are fifth. So this prompted him to ask me, does this stat prove? 
that the Premier League is the best league in, in terms of quality and competitiveness? And and do you see a resurgence in, in English football when it comes to probably, you know, European silverware, looking at, um, you know, United taking out the Europa League and then Liverpool challenging for the making the, the Champions League final there. So do you think there's a, a bit of a changing of the guard here? Uh, I don't think, I don't know if it's proof, like, you know, definitive proof that is better. But I mean, look, you don't, you don't have to look far to see that, you know, if someone's never, you know, watched a game of football in their life and, have, you know, never watched any sort of European game in their life and they look at the league, you know, it wouldn't take, you know, it wouldn't take a genius to look at, you know, to, to compare tables within, within Europe and say, oh, okay, why is there so many teams so close together, you know, with, you know, like, look, why, why is Arsenal fifth with the same points as the team first in Spain? You know, you can put two and two together there. But, yeah, I think we are, I think... I think we're close to seeing a resurgence. Uh, we are seeing a resurgence, but you know, a proven resurgence in terms of, you know, European silverware. And I think we'll. I think we're getting close now to, you know, I think in the next five years, maybe once or twice, you might see an English club take out the Champions League or be in the final, uh, for that matter. Uh, I think that, you know, Real. I don't think Real Madrid will go far this year. Uh, they'll get through the group, but I don't know if they'll, they'll go. I don't think they'll go far. Honestly, I can't see them going past around sixteen. If you ask me. But um, yeah, I think that for a long time, the Premier League has been you know the most exciting league to watch. Uh, you know, normally in Spain, we see Barcelona and Madrid. Uh, you know, that's who we've seen. You know, every now and then we see uh, Atletico right up there. I mean, for the last what eight years, eight or nine years, we've seen Juventus dominate Italy. Almost the exact same story in Germany. So, uh, yeah, it is. It is the most competitive it is the most exciting league that's for sure and yeah that is it is a bit of proof there in that statistic um but do you think it's more of a case that both Barca and Madrid and maybe even Bayern Munich are are just a little bit off the off the pace this season and and this season might be an anomaly for them maybe I think the Barcelona will win the league uh I still think they have enough well, they definitely do have enough to win a Champions League, and I, I think they'll be there or thereabouts this year. Um, but yeah, but it I seems don't... as though they're, they're they're only playing at you know third or, or fourth gear. I mean, they're not rifling teams out of the park, or and, no. and you know Madrid Madrid are out of the question at the moment. So do you think maybe that you know they they can play at half pace and and comfortably mm. win the league? Yeah, well, I mean, it could be a bit of a teething period. I mean, you know, there's new players in there, new centre midfielders uh, at Barcelona. Obviously, you know, Philip Coutinho is a world-class player and a phenomenal football, a phenomenal footballer. But you know, he doesn't. He he's not the same style as as your Iniesta's or Xavi's. So you know, it could mm-hmm. be a bit of teething. Uh, you know, I think we could be. Look, Suarez might have another season in at Barca uh, before he moves on potentially. Uh, so before he be comes back home. Oh, got to Ajax. Oh. Um, but yeah, you know, it could we could it could just be a bit of bit of teething, which is fine. I think I think they've I think they've uh, you know uh, brought home enough trophies in the in the past ten years to allow a bit of a, te- a teething period. But um, yeah, I think that uh, I think this year we could see uh, a, a few teams. I it wouldn't it wouldn't surprise me if Liverpool and City went went deep in the Champions League again. Uh, not saying that Liverpool's going to go and win it or be in the final or the semi-finals for that matter, but I, I think we could see maybe two or three teams maybe in that quarterfinals, and uh, yeah, it's it is an exciting time for the Premier League, and 
I, I don't know. I don't know if we'll see a, a Chelsea versus Manchester United esque, you know, English Champions League final, uh, soon. Uh, but I, it could be on the way. But yeah, that's that's how I see it at least. It's oh, all. Thank you very much for your answer, mate. It's all. It's all. You know, stats stats are great, and you know, numbers don't lie. But trophies are the most definitive, and until that. You know, until that period comes around this season, we'll be really be able to, you know, uh, add fuel to the debate. Well, there you go, straight from yeah. the horse's mouth. Exactly. Is that the same? Yeah, straight from the horse's mouth. Good oh, on you. There you go. Yeah, perfect. Well, mate, that uh, wraps up another show. Thank you very much. And uh, no worries, yeah, mate. Hey, you know, you know what we should try and bring back next week, and I miss the quiz. I miss winning. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I rumor has it. Rumor has it that uh. Lachlan will be back. Uh, we haven't seen him in about mm, three and a half years, uh, yeah, but we are. We, uh, we might. We might get him. We might get him next week. No, I think he. I think he should be back. So if there's three of us there, we will be all all uh, all ready to go for another quiz. So uh, yeah, no, mate. Thanks very much again. And uh, yeah, to uh, to all our listeners, we're going to leave that question out there about Monaco, and uh, on our Instagram. So uh, let us know what you think. So mate, thank you very much again, and I uh, look forward to chatting to you thank same you. time next week.